Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, July the 20th, 2022. It is currently 5.14 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Well, I I hope, you know, I cannot even say that. Well, let's say this. This is going to be another step forward, another step towards possibly bringing this series to a conclusion. I don't know if this series is going to have an actual conclusion. I think this series is just going to end with, wait, wait, uh, is, is, is that it? Wait, you, you, I don't have any answers. Wait, I still don't understand. And well, I, I'm sorry. I think that's really how this is going to end because it appears that no one really is that bothered and trying to find out exactly how to interpret this text. And what text am I referring to? I'm referring to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Philippians, well, actually Philippians chapter 3. Well, we can start in verse 9. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found, well, actually, we'll go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 for context. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The all things there is referring to his self-righteousness. All the things he looked to for his own self-righteousness, he now considers that dung. He now considers that useless, that's garbage, that's waste, because, well, he has found the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, which one obtains by faith. In fact, we'll see that in verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but by but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So his all of these things he held on to for his own personal practical righteousness, he realized that is lost, that is but dung, it is useless because I now have perfect righteousness because any righteousness you obtain by trying to keep the law, by trying to do the right thing will always be imperfect. So that, we all understand that verse, right? That There's no problem there. Philippians 3, 1 through 9, beautiful passage, e- easy to teach, Anyone should be able to grasp it, and you should be blown away by it. You should be amazed by it. No matter the simplicity should not take away your amazement from it because it's beautiful news. It's amazing. It's great. It's awesome. Read it, read it, read it, read it. But when we get to verse 10 is where things start going, wait a minute. Okay, what's going on here? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be made and being made conformable unto his death. And we looked at a lot of possible ways of interpreting this, right? And I'm not going to go back through all of them now. You can go listen to part one, part two, part three, part four. We spent hours working on this, but we, we did not really come to any good answers. We, we put forth our theory. We put forth our hypothesis. And then we started, while well, reviewing sermons to challenge our theory and hypothesis. And the sermons we've reviewed so far, it was it was horrible. It was horrible. So I'm like, well, what do we do? Do I do I just give up? Do I just declare our our view is right? And I don't want to do that. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to review another one. We're just going to review another sermon. And this one is actually a TV broadcast. 
Um, and it's called the resurrection of the dead. Supposedly Philippians 3, 9 through 14 is the text. Remember, I don't listen to these in advance because I don't like it to feel like, oh, you're finding bad sermons so that you know. We're just picking random sermons. I saw this one. I, and I made the joke, when you see the picture, it's a man sitting in a chair with an open Bible, obviously teaching on Philippians 3, 9 through 14, and behind him is this extensive library of books. It looks wonderful, it looks great, so I made the joke, well, based on how many books he has behind him, he has to understand Philippians 3, 9 through 14. So, I, I'm not, <laughs> that's just a joke, it's just a joke, no one be offended. So we're just going to jump in and see what we have here today. I don't, I don't know, but I, I will say this, because this has kind of become a theme today, all right? Sometimes a theme emerges in all of the live broadcasting that we do. Here's what I, I, I hope you will embrace. It's always important that you want truth over certainty, because too many times in the church, certainty is put in the place of truth. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's a passage that's very difficult to, to understand. There's all, maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 views within church history of people trying to interpret that. But we love to just have someone say, no, this is the right interpretation. Ignore all of those others. Don't even worry about all of those others. So they want to give you a sense of certainty at the expense of truth. And I'm telling you, certain certainty is not worth, it's not, it's not worth the cost of truth. Truth sometimes leaves you uncertain. Truth sometimes leaves you going, you know what, guys? I don't really know what to do with this passage of Scripture. And that's okay. It's okay for that to occur. So we're going to listen and see if this adds any any certainty, but does it add certainty at the the expense of truth? Is it going to even deal with all of the problems? I, I greatly doubt it because it's, well, less than 30 minutes long, so I, I don't I don't think we're going to get a lot. But, you know, even though it's less than 30 minutes, my review may take five hours. So I want to finish this in one episode. So that's why I'm not going into any great review about all of our our interpretation of this. I figure that's going to come out in our discussion about this anyway. So I don't want to be repetitive or redundant, which I get accused of all the time. Um, so I'm just going to try to jump in. Please go back and listen to our entire series on Philippians 3.10. If you have the Church One app, that's Church O-N-E. Just look for the series on Philippians 3.10 and start listening to all of them, all right? That's the Church One app. That's the easiest way to find our content. It really is. Download the Church One app, Church O-N-E. Apple Android device, once you download the app, just search for Theology Central. Choose us as the selected broadcaster, and that magically transforms the Church One app into the Theology Central app. And then you can be notified every time we go live and you have access to our archives, which I don't know how many total messages are there on the Church One app. We're still adding uh, older content, uh, but I know that just for the just for the Theology Central podcast, we are almost at 2,000, is it two or 3,000, 2,000 episodes, maybe 3,000 episodes, um, and just... Uh, uh, just a, a, a few years, so that that can you can kind of break that down about how many uh, pro- podcast episodes we're doing uh, per day. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna try to break that down tonight and and see. But uh, well, we're, we we got a couple of things we want to do when we reach a certain number. We're gonna do some maybe some things just to just as kind of saying, hey, this is how much content we produce. You, whether you like it or don't like it, hopefully the one thing it causes you to think and it challenges you. And that, that's the best I can do. But are you ready? Here we go. 
Another message on Philippians 3, 9 and and following, our focus is on verse 10. What are they going to do with verse 10? We're about to find out right now as we listen to a the audio of a television broadcast. I've never heard of this before, but you know what? That's what I love to do. I love I love to grab the random audio. So we listen to it together. So here we go. Welcome to Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. It is our pleasure and privilege to present to you the gospel message of the sovereign grace and glory of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today's program will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening, and now for today's program. All right, so it sounds like I mentioned sovereign grace, so maybe therefore more reformed and well, that would be more in line with me. So that, that could be interesting. But remember, the other sermons we listened to were from a Presbyterian church, which would have been Reformed. And that was a disaster. And we won't even go through that mess. That was, that was just so, so frustrating. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping for better results here. I'm hoping for better, better results here. So here we go. Open your Bibles, Philippians 3. Okay, here we go. I'm I don't even know if I should be excited or if I should just go, you know what, just whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Let, let's, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully optimistic, but skeptical. Is that, I say that doesn't even work. I don't know how to describe my mood right now. Here we go. Welcome to our program today. I'm glad you could join us. I've been preaching through the book of Philippians chapter 3, this specific chapter, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles. So if you haven't kept up with these and you want to hear the the past messages, today I'm going to begin around verses 9 and 10 of Philippians chapter 3 concerning the resurrection of the dead. That's the title of the message, the resurrection of the dead. And if you'd like to go back and listen to the messages that I preached before, then be sure to go to our website. You can order them or you can listen to them right there. But this is the resurrection from the dead. It's where the Apostle Paul has been uh, writing by by inspiration of the Spirit concerning uh, the salvation of sinners, God in, in the new birth bringing sinners to faith in Christ, repentance of dead works, which uh, Paul uh, speaks of in verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And he explained that. And he shows here that the only hope that sinners have of salvation, of being justified before God, what is it to be justified? It's to be forgiven of all of our sins and declared righteous in God's sight. The only hope of any sinner Uh, attaining uh, justification is to be found in Christ. Now, to be found in Christ, and he says that in verse 9. He says, says, uh, in verse verse 8, he talked about that I may win Christ and be found in him. To be in Christ. Okay, I like this. I like placing that emphasis that about, you know, 
to be justified is to be in him, to be found in him. Because if I am in him, well, then it's not me, my works, my righteousness, my sin. I'm in Christ. I'm so united with him that it's his righteousness. It's his obedience. It's his holiness. And that's the whole idea of that I'm in him. His righteousness is imputed to me. All right. I, I like this emphasis. I'm just, I'm just worried about what's going to happen when we get to verse 10. But okay, but so far, I mean, we're, we're in great agreement. I, I think in all the sermons we've reviewed, everything they said leading up to verse 10, we were like, yeah, we're, we're with you. So, all right, but I do like that emphasis, in Christ, in Christ, to be found in Christ. In Christ. I, I love that concept. I love that imagery. I love the whole thing because that's our only hope. It's either I'm found in Christ or I'm found in myself. And if I'm found in myself, it's judgment, it's condemnation, it's hell. If I'm found in Christ, it's forgiveness because in Christ, I am holy, I'm perfect, I'm righteous, I'm obedient. Okay, here we go. Let's see where, where he's going to take this. What does that mean? <clears throat> well, it means that if, if I'm in Christ, there are several aspects of that. It means that God chose me before the foundation of the world in Christ. Ephesians 1 speaks of that. Okay, now, I, I'm in complete agreement, obviously, with this. I believe in divine election, election, sovereign election before the foundations of the world. Okay, completely believe this. So we're on the same page doctrinally and theologically so far. So this, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Let's just see where he's going to go. And I like the fact that he's explaining some of the concepts of what it means to be in Christ. It means Christ is my representative before God, my high priest, that Christ is my surety, which means that all of the responsibility of my sins, all my sins, my fall in Adam, my own personal sins, sins of omission, sins of commission, sins past, present, future, the, the penalty, the payment, the debt of all my sins were placed on him, his charge, imputed, that's the word, imputed to him. And okay, well, now we're talking about the doctrine of imputation, which is so critical. We are saved by an imputed righteousness, not by an infused righteousness. Every Christian needs to understand the difference between a salvation by imputed righteousness versus a salvation by infused righteousness. And I believe too many times within the evangelical world, on one hand, we say, we're saved by an imputed righteousness. And then we turn around, but if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you're not saved. Wait, 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 wait. Imputed just means I'm declared to be righteous. You're saying if I'm not made righteous and I don't uh, act righteous and I don't do enough righteous deeds, then I'm not saved. Well, that would require me to be infused with a righteousness, right? So it, it, it sometimes we, 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 we blur the distinctions and I think to uh, the detriment of the gospel, but that's a whole different point. Well, we've kind of been talking about that a little bit today as well. If you listen to our Bible study exercise on who is my, who is my neighbor or who is your neighbor, part three, we dealt with the correct use of the law and uh, the distinction between law and gospel. So, you, well, so this is another theme that has emerged today. But let's continue. I love this, doctrine of imputation, right? This is great stuff. Here we go. In other words, he was, he was chosen to be my surety the surety of all of his people, all that the Father gave to him. And he took responsibility, he willingly did this now, took responsibility to pay the sin debt in full of his people 
by dying on the cross of Calvary for their sins. You see that death, his death on Calvary was not just a token. It was not just an expression of God's love. It was the satisfaction of the debt. That's called redemption. And so, so to be in Christ is to be, uh, be in him as my surety. And then it's to be in him as my substitute. That when he came to this world and assumed human nature, human body and soul without sin, he did it for me and he kept the law. He was made under the law to redeem, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And that is being in him. He died for me on the cross. How do I know that Christ died for me? Well, to be in him is to be born again and brought to faith in him. It means I believe in him and I rest in him. I plead his blood and his righteousness as my only hope of salvation. And to be found in him, verse 9 here in Philippians 3, is to stand before holy God at the judgment in the beauty, in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. See, if I'm found in him, then there's no possible way that I can be condemned. Romans 8.1 says that there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. They believe in him. Romans 8, I think it's 33, says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather. I think that's interesting because we have a tendency to run around and condemn people. We condemn people based on what we see. We, can, we condemn people based off our perception. But it's God who justifies. And he justifies by an imputed righteousness. It's a forensic justification. It's a legal declaration that I am righteous even though I am not. So how can we run around and base people's salvation on what we see when their salvation is determined by an imputed righteousness which we cannot see, <laughs> right? That's so very just fundamentally important to understanding so much. But all right, I'm hoping he's going to get to verse 10 because this has been the, everyone does so good on all the verses before, but when it gets to 10, it's just everything. The wheels come off the the train, or the wheels come off the car, the, the, uh, the train comes off the tracks, whatever metaphor you want to use, it all goes horribly wrong, but we'll see. Okay, I, I'm just worried because he has very, very, very limited time in his program. Uh, and I, and I, I respect these people who can do um, programs less than 30 minutes long or do them less than 15 minutes. I don't think, I, maybe I could do that if I was, when I was back on radio, I, 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 when I was on uh, Christian radio, I, had, I did 30 minutes. So it was about 29 minutes. So I, I, I've met time restrictions before, but then we got kicked off Christian radio. <laughs> so, okay. So, so what difference did it make that I was keeping the time limit? Okay, all right, all right, here we go. Father is risen again and seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession, to stand before God in my place as my intercessor, my mediator, my high priest. And so that, that's what it is to be in Christ. Well, Paul writes here in verse 9 of Philippians 3, I want to be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith or the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. My hope is not 
My hope is not even in my own faithfulness. My hope and assurance of salvation is in Christ's faithfulness to do what he agreed to do in the covenant of grace. And what did he agree to do? He agreed to be my surety, my substitute, my redeemer, my intercessor. You see what I'm saying? He's faithful. The faith of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ is perfection. Now, when God gives his people faith in the new birth, we have that faith, but we have it in these uh, uh, broken vessels, you might say, fleshly bodies. And we still have the sinful flesh to deal with. We're in a warfare. And our faith is, is always contaminated by our own doubts and misgivings. I love that. That every part of us is still contaminated. Every part of us. Sin will still be present. It will always be seen. I want to make it clear. Because of the sinful nature, what will be seen is sin. And listen, what will be seen is a practical righteousness that is still contaminated by sin. That's why it becomes impossible to judge salvation. Go, no, if you're saved, you're going to do A, B, C, D, E. Even if you're doing A, B, C, D, E, those good works are contaminated by sin. So that, that doesn't necessarily prove anything that you've got some external works. Salvation is based off an imputed righteousness that we obtain by faith. This is just so fundamental to Christianity. Now, if you reject that, let me, let me recommend a church. Grab your phone and look for the nearest Catholic church in your area. They will teach you a justification by infused righteousness, and you may feel much more comfortable with that, and you may feel like that you're not getting easy believism or a cheap grace. It's called Roman Catholicism. And again, what I, I've, I've told, I say it every time, it was my study of Roman Catholic theology at a Catholic university where I decided, you know what, I'm tired of everyone saying things about Catholicism that I don't think is accurate. I'm going to study Catholicism at a Catholic university and pursue a degree in Catholic theology so that when I speak about Catholicism, I can do so from a position of knowledge, not one of ignorance. And as I'm sitting there studying at a Catholic university, I start realizing, wait a minute. I think, there, I think Protestants are more Catholic than Catholics when it comes to this whole idea of imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness, which is what the entire Protestant Reformation was so much about. Grab a London Baptist Confession of Faith. Read its, its, its chapter on justification. It's going to mention this idea of imputed righteousness versus an infused righteousness. That, that was the issue at that time. But somehow in 2022, many evangelicals have lost sight of that and without even knowing have almost teaching salvation based off an infused righteousness. It, they're literally denying the very Protestant Reformation, and maybe they're denying it not out of, on purpose, but just out of mere ignorance because nobody in the church today wants to study anything about church history. And so even though a believer, a true believer, believes and rests in Christ for all salvation, he's in a struggle with the world, with himself, the, war, the, the, fle the, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the battle is sure to be won because of Christ who has the victory. He's not going to let his people go. 
The battle will be won, but the battle will not be over and will not be won until we, now this is very, very important, until we are in his presence. So let's make this very clear. In, because I'm going to draw this distinction once again between position and practice. In my position, the battle is over. In my position, I'm dead. I no longer live. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. All things have become new. That is only true in my position. All right. So there's my position right now. I'm perfect. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm dead to sin. All of that is true positionally. Right. So positionally, it's already done. The battle is already over. The war is finished. And glory in eternity, when I experience glorification, then that victory becomes a, not a positional thing. It becomes a practical reality that is true in me because now I the sinful nature is gone. There's no more pain. There's no more sin. There's no more death. So it goes from positional to our reality, but it goes from, that, that reality will not occur until glorification. In between my current position and glorification is the practical reality. And the practical reality is sin will be what is seen. And even when I am righteous, it will be corrupted. Even when I do righteous things, it's still corrupted by sin. In practice, there's going to be sin. There's going to be failure over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's important to note the distinction between position and practice, between position and glorification. If he took his sovereign hand of of, of power off of me, I'd, I'd fall in a minute. But he won't let that happen to, for me to fall away completely, apostatize, as you say. Okay, now if you say that, hey, I cannot apostatize. Okay, that's okay. I can't come to a point where I deny the faith. But even with this sovereign hand on me, I sin. I sin in thought, word, and deed. I sin in what I do and what I leave undone. I am a sinner. My, even my righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags before a holy God. So but that's even with God's sovereign hand. Now, I know the evangelical Christian world loves to say, no, 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 no. Now that you're saved, you have the power. You can do it. You can meet the righteous demand of the law. You can obey. You can do it. Well, we've been saying that while we continue to sin, 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 sin. So maybe we don't have said power that all evangelicals want to claim that we have, which is where I have a major issue with a lot of the, the teaching, which we've talked about in countless podcast episodes. But let's see. Well, I still want to know. All of this is great. I just, where we want to know verse 10. He, he's he's going to run out of time. Let's hope he gets to verse 10. So my hope is in him, the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says in Acts 17, 31, that God has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained in that he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And what that's telling me is this, the only way that I can, I can appear before God in the perfection of the righteousness of the law that only God, that, that's the only thing that God will accept is to be found in Christ, having his righteousness charged to me. And so that's the righteousness of God, which is by faith. We receive it by God-given faith. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's the power of an endless life, the power of eternal life. Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
and being made conform, and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death. In other words, I am in Christ. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he arose again, I arose again. He as my surety, my substitute, my redeemer. And then I identify with him against the world. I'm with, I, I take sides with Christ because God gave me faith and repentance. I take sides with Christ and I stand against the world. And then look at verse 11. He says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now what's Paul talking about here? Well, the resurrection of the dead here is the final glorification. Okay, hang on. I'm going to back this up just a little. I'm going to back this up just a little. Okay, I'm going to back this up just a little. Okay, he jumped to verse 11. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to listen to this again. Here we go. Substitute my Redeemer. And then I identify with him against the world. I'm with, I, I take sides with Christ because God gave me faith and repentance. I take sides with Christ and I stand against the world. And then look at verse 11. He says, if by any means. Okay, he's jumping. Okay, I want, I want more discussion on verse 10. I want more discussion. Okay, I'm going to go back again. Did I miss something here? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to go back. I must have missed something. I must have, I must have been thinking something. I, I must have blacked out. Okay, I got to go. Where, how, how did we jump to verse 11? Okay, let me, let me, I missed something here. By that man whom he hath ordained, in that he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And what that's telling me is this. The only way that I can, I can appear before God in the perfection of the righteousness of the law that only God, that, that's the only thing that God will accept, is to be found in Christ, having his righteousness charged to me. And so... That's the righteousness of God, which is by faith. We receive it by God-given faith. And verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's the power of an endless life, the power of eternal life. Grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And, being made and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death. In other words, I am in Christ. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he arose again, I arose again. He as my surety, my substitute, my redeemer. And then I identify with him against the world. I'm with, I, I take sides with Christ because God gave me faith and repentance. I take sides with Christ and I stand against the world. And then look at verse 11. He says, if by any... Okay, so... He didn't do anything with verse 10. It seems like what he's saying is verse 10 is basically, he doesn't explain that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be made conformable to his death. This is a positional reality. Because I'm in Christ, then I know the power of his resurrection. I, the fellowship of his suffering, because I'm united with him and conformable to his death. That This is all true of this is true of me in my position, has nothing to do with my practical. This is true of my position, a positional reality. He doesn't bother to explain it or even take it apart. He immediately jumps to verse 11. Now, what I'm going to assume is he's going to jump to verse 11 to gain something from verse 11 to go back to verse 10. 
Why? I don't understand. We constantly see people's handling of verse 10 to be, it's just so weird. The way, you know, this is what tells me something. The way so many of these programs and pastors and sermons have handled verse 10, it just shows you they don't really know. But instead of saying, I don't know, they throw something out and it just, it's so vague and like, okay, so what does that mean? I am, mm, okay, let's see what he's going to do with verse 11 because we haven't really considered it. Means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, what's Paul talking about here? Well, the resurrection of the dead here is the final glorification of all of God's people in the end. When Christ comes back, he's going to raise his people from the dead and he's going to give them new, perfect, spiritual bodies. They'll all be glorified together and that's the resurrection of the dead. That's the culmination of everything that salvation is. The glorified realm of salvation when Christ comes again to destroy this world and to judge those who died in unbelief, but to gather His church, His children, God's elect believers unto Himself and will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's Paul's goal. That's the goal of every true believer. Every sinner saved by grace. Every justified person. Are my sins forgiven? If it's by the blood of Christ, yes. If I think it's anything else, I count it but loss. You see what I'm saying? It is the resurrection of the dead unto glorious, perfect, sinless, sorrowless life. No tears, no death, no sorrow. That's what he's talking about. And that's not just a pipe dream. Christ arose from the dead and the book of 1 Corinthians 15 says he's the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, he is, his resurrection from the dead proves that will all of his sheep, all of his church, will be raised from the dead and glorified with him. Now, when Paul says here in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, Paul's not saying, I don't care how I get there, I just so I get there. That's not what he's saying. Paul realized, as every other believer does, that we get there by the grace and the power of God in the righteousness or the blood of Christ. And that's how we get there. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. The only way of salvation, the only way of being justified, the only way of being born again and glorified is through the grace and the power of God based on the righteousness of Christ. Now, I, I do like, now he hasn't been dogmatic or hasn't been explicit, but clearly the passage is about we are in Christ. Being in, think of it this way, in Christ, that's my position, right? I'm in Christ, that's my position. Therefore, I, I am found, I have now a righteousness. I'm declared righteous. I, I, I have found a righteousness in my position, not practically, but in my position. 
And in my position in Christ, I now know the power of the resurrection. I know the power of the resurrection because I am in Christ. I'm alive to God. And because I'm in Christ, I know the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm united with his sufferings, and I am reaping the benefits of that suffering because I've experienced the forgiveness of sins, which comes from his suffering, right? And that uh, I'm I'm being made conformable unto his death because in Christ I am dead. Now, I still think Philippians 3.10 ultimately points that Paul wants to, Paul wants to experience these. He, he's in Christ, but he wants to experience these three things in the most intimate way. And I think the only way we're going to truly experience those things in verse 10 ultimately is in our glorification when we're before God. Because when I am before God, I will truly know the power of the resurrection in the most practical way. Because I died physically, but now I'm alive truly in his presence. Okay, I'm going to truly know the fellowship of his suffering because now I am with him and I've reaped all of the benefits from his suffering, right? And John Gill goes with this idea that this means the fellowship of his suffering is not that I'm suffering, but that I'm so united to his suffering that I'm experiencing the benefits from his suffering. And so when I'm in him, guess what? He died so that I could live. I'm alive. He died so that I could have eternal life. I have eternal life. He died to destroy sin. It's when I'm in glorification that sin is completely destroyed. I no longer have a sinful nature. Conformable to his death, when I am in heaven, it's no longer me because my sinful nature is gone and I become like him. So I think ultimately this points to glorification. He doesn't explain it. But then he uh, he says, verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He defined what the resurrection of the dead is, but he's not really dealing with this idea by any means. Because it almost as if Paul's like, you know, if if by any way I can, if if by any means I might attain, I, you know, I if there's any way I might attain the resurrection of the dead, not as if it's not an, a, a sure thing. If you look at Philippians 3.11 and a number of translations, you get, you get a couple of ideas. New International. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead, right? almost as if it, somehow I'm going to attain the resurrection of the dead. I don't know how, but somehow it's going to happen. In other words, from my own, if I look at my life, there's no way I should attain the resurrection of the dead, meaning that it cannot be by what we do. Right? Um, New Living Translation. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of dead. In other words, there, I don't know how, but I will experience of the dead. This is almost like a kind of a play on words. Like, hey, if it was up to, if you look at my life, I don't know how I can do this. But remember, he's already established in nine that he stands in Christ in that perfect righteousness. That's how he's going to do so. Um, it, it says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead, but most say if by any means, if by any means. If you look at the commentary, it says the the apostle uses the language of humble expectation. All right? Uh, If by any means, the verb attain means to arrive at the end of a journey. It presents the figure of a pilgrimage. All right? So in other words, uh, well, that doesn't really explain much either. If we go to other commentaries here, uh, let's see what they have to say. Uh, that's not helpful. If by any means, not implying uncertainty of the issue, but the earnestness of struggle of faith and the urgent need of jealous self-watchfulness. So the idea, this is this is like, 
I, 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 I long for, I, I, I need to experience the resurrection of the dead. I, I, I want to, to, to be there. So there's a couple of ways of trying to understand this. He, he's not done much here with it. Let's see if he, if he does any more. But what Paul is saying is this, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of death. It, what he's saying is this, it doesn't matter what I go through here on this earth. When Paul wrote this book of Philippians, you know where he was? He was in jail. This is one of his prison epistles. You remember the story of uh, the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts? This is where Paul was and he wrote this letter. Uh, in jail, to the uh, later on, uh, later on when he was in, I believe he was in Rome, where he wrote this letter. But he was in prison at Rome. But he wrote this to the Philippians, and he called himself the prisoner of the Lord. He didn't say I'm the prisoner of Caesar or the prisoner of of Rome. What he recognized is that this was one of the ways that God was going to use him to get the gospel out. And so when he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection, no matter what I go through between now, the time of my death, and my resurrection, that's my goal. And nothing's going to hinder it. Being in jail is not going to hinder it. Being beheaded, which Paul was beheaded. Being opposed. Every true gospel believer has had to, uh, had to face opposition, mainly from their families unbelieving family members. But, he, but nothing's going to hinder or stop the perfection that we will experience in the resurrection from the dead when Christ comes again. And so how do you know he's talking about uh, the res, this final resurrection, this glorification? Well, look at verse 12. He says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I might, may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, I like that because if you, if you think about it, he had already, uh, he's already found a righteousness that's not from the law, but comes from Christ. He's already found that. Then he describes that, hey, I want to know these things. That, that seems to imply he doesn't know them yet. He's longing for them. And if we already talked about everything that Paul had already experienced in his life, he'd been taught by Christ. He's being encountered the resurrected Christ. He's seen miracles, all the things. He'd been taken up to heaven, the third heaven. If you take everything Paul had encountered, verse 10 doesn't make any sense. So he's, he's saying that even after everything he's experienced, there's something he's still longing for. He wants to truly know the power of his resurrection. He truly wants to know that. That means he wants to experience the power of the resurrection in its ultimate sense. Like, the, like truly, when, when you die physically, now you are alive in his presence. The true, uh, know the power of the resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. He truly wants to be so united to the suffering that he, he gets all of the benefits from it. He truly wants to be made conformable to his death. After everything Paul said, he was still reaching for these things, meaning that he was longing for something else. 
If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's, he's, he, he, he wants, he not only doesn't want to know the power, he wants to actually experience the resurrection of the dead. He's longing for these things. And how do we know this is not referring to something, sanctification on this earth? No, it's referring to something he's longing for, the ultimate fulfillment of all of these things and glorification. And I think verse 12 makes it clear. Not as though I had already attained. He has not attained any of those things. I like this. Either we're already perfect. I haven't attained these things. I'm not perfect. I'm still a sinner in my practice, in my position. I'm perfectly holy. All of those things are true in my position. But I follow after. I'm pursuing, chasing these things. If that I may apprehend that for Jesus which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's trying to apprehend that which he's already apprehended by. In his position, he's already apprehended. These are already a certainty in his position, but he's pursuing after them. That I think verse 12 may actually prove that these are things he hasn't. The Verse 9 are, explains what he already has. 10 and 11 is what he's longing for. 12 explains he hasn't obtained these things yet. Now, Paul says, not as though I had already attained. He's talking now about something he has not attained yet. Something he has not reached yet. A point. Now, Paul has attained salvation. Not by his works, not by his efforts, not by his own will or free will as they call it. He had attained it because God sovereignly stopped him on the Damascus road. And he was born again and brought to faith in Christ and repentance. See, our attaining salvation is not a matter of our efforts or our, or our decision. It's a matter of God's sovereign grace. Paul said in Galatians 1, When it pleased the Lord to reveal himself in me. Now that's what happened. God's good time. But he'd already attained salvation. And then Paul had already attained justification. Paul's sins were already forgiven. His righteousness was already complete and perfect. He stood before God in the perfection of righteousness, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 14 says this. It says, By one offering, Christ hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Those whom God set apart in election and in redemption and in the new birth, Christ has perfected them. They have attained the perfection of the law, again, not by their works, but by Christ's work for them as our surety, substitute, and redeemer. So he's already attained that. All the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ but there's something he had not yet attained. Something yet that, that's yet to be completed. I, and I think that, I just, that just fits so perfectly. Hey, I haven't obtained. What has he not obtained? Clearly, he's not attained the resurrection of the dead because, well, he's still he's in prison. He's not died and experienced the resurrection of the dead. Clearly, in verse 10, he's expressing, I want, I, I want to attain something. I want to know the power of the resurrection. The only way you're ever going to truly know the power of the resurrection is not in some sanctification way. 
No, not in some practical way. It's when ultimately you experience the, when you experience the resurrection, you will know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. When you are truly in his presence and all of the benefits of his suffering, you are now experiencing conformable to his death. When you stand before him, you become like him. The old Jew, the old Jew completely ceased to exist. All of those things he had not attained yet. Verse nine talks about what he's already attained. He had attained righteousness that comes by faith. That that that's the that to me. Now he's he's not done much with verse ten, but in a roundabout way, he he's brought in a verse that we had not spent much time looking at that I think does answer all of the questions that we have raised and may actually prove. A pretty good the theory that we presented. And remember, the theory we presented wasn't mine. It was a listener who, who mentioned it. And I was like, wow, you're smart. That's really, really good. And that's the one we've went with. And so far, I think now, I think maybe now we can even be maybe even more dogmatic about our theory. I, I think maybe we can. Right? Let, let's, let's finish this up. And what is that? That's the final culmination of all things when Christ comes the second time without sin to destroy this earth and gather his people unto himself. He's talking about final glory. So he says, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. That is in the sense of final glorification. I am perfect in Christ. He is my righteousness and there's no flaw there's no sin. There's, there's no uh, uh, contamination or corruption in the righteousness that I stand before God in because it's Christ. But now me, you look at me and my inward thoughts and everything, I do believe I've been born again. I have a new heart, but I also have the flesh that contaminates everything I think, say, and do. And it's a struggle. It's a, that's a continual repentance in that way. Godly sorrow over sin. So I'm not perfect in myself. And that's what Paul's saying. Not, uh, he says, uh, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I'm not perfect in myself. I am perfect in Christ. In him, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. In Him, in Christ, and that's what I—that's why I spent some time earlier talking about what it means to be in Him. But in myself, I'm all—we sing a hymn at our church: "Only a sinner saved by grace, only a sinner saved by grace." This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. And as I another hymn, my hope is built on nothing less. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. Another hymn, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And one verse in that says, this is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? The perfection of the law for righteousness can only be found in Christ, not in me. And I look to him. So in that sense, I say with Paul, not as though I had already attained. I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
I'm perfect in Christ, but not yet perfect in myself. So either we're already perfect. But look at what he says in verse 12. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend. What does that mean, apprehend? It means to lay hold, grab hold of it. That for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. God is the first cause of all things, especially salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. My salvation was brought about not by my laying hold of him, but of his laying hold of me. (laughs) That's what happened, you know. My former pastor, he used to talk about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And he'd say this, he'd say, Paul was not going to a religious service. He was not going to a prayer meeting. He was not seeking the Lord. He was seeking Christians that he might arrest them, bring them back and arrest them and have them executed. That's what he was wanting to do. But God laid hold of him, apprehended him, got hold of him. Christ grabbed him. And put him on his, on his face and blinded him physically, but opened his eyes spiritually, gave him spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. Sent him to Ananias. And, we, and Paul had already heard the gospel. He heard Stephen preach it. He heard others preach it that, that he wanted to persecute. But God made it effectual unto his salvation. And so when he's talking about this glory, that's the reason God chose a people. In Christ, that's the reason he purposed before the foundation of the world to save a people and gave them to Christ that he would bring them ultimately to final glory to live with him forever and ever and ever in uninterrupted blessing and fellowship without sin, without sorrow, without death. And Paul says, I want to lay hold of that. That's why, that's why he laid hold of me. So he says in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't yet achieved final glory. I haven't yet attained it. When I say achieve, I don't mean you earn it. We don't earn it. But I haven't yet gotten there. But this one thing I do, Paul says, this was the determination of his mind, and that by the power of God. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So many people, when they talk about salvation, when they talk about assurance of salvation, they always go back into the past. And they always want to relate some experience they had that they thought was supernatural or spiritual. But Paul says, I forget all that. The only time that Paul ever related or uh, referred back to his own experience on the Damascus Road was when he was trying to prove to believers that he was the actual Paul who before persecuted them. I am that man. But God did a work of grace. So he says, I forget those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, those things that are before me. That final glory in Christ. Not trying to work my way into God's favor. Not trying to work my way into righteousness. Not trying to work my way into salvation. But because I am 
apprehended of God. Because I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, born again by the Spirit of God, justified based on His righteousness imputed to me. I reach forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the mark, the prize, final glory, resurrection from the dead. Just as Christ arose from the dead, he will bring his people to be raised from the dead. You know, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there were some false preachers who crept into those churches saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's argument against that is that cannot be because if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ did not was not raised from the dead. And he was. And remember in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about how he was seen of over 500 witnesses after he died on that cross and was laid in that tomb for three days, he came out and he was seen of all kinds of people. Okay, he's moved on. Here's what he has helped us do, that Paul was explaining some things he had not yet grabbed onto, not yet, as he says in Philippians 3, uh, 12, that he's not attained yet. And those things that he was not attained yet are those things mentioned in verse 10 and 11, which will ultimately happen in glorification. And I think that that's the best way to understand it. But we will stop right there. I, I think that comes, I think it does pretty good giving our our perspective. You, you can listen and tell me what you think. Um, but once again, he did not really cover verse 10, which is kind of... Uh, frustrating. But I think in a roundabout way, we can summarize our our view that, yeah, this is pointing to that which Paul is looking for. He's wanting to know these things, and he will not know them in, quote-unquote, sanctification, but ultimately in glorification. And I think that makes the most sense. All right, we'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, Contact us anytime, and may God bless you.